Well, I want you to come with me to the book of Judges, chapter 11. The title of my uh, message this, this morning is Unleashing the Hero Within. Unleashing the Hero Within. And so, uh, so I want you to uh, come with me to Judges, chapter 11. We're going to be reading the story of a man by the name of Jephthah. So Judges, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Seventh book in, Judges. Judges, chapter 11. Yell out when you're there. How many people brought their Bibles to church? Come on, lift your Bible in the air. Say, this is my Bible. Say, this Bible makes me a deadly weapon against the kingdom of darkness. Say, devil, this is my sword. You tried to kill my father. Now prepare to die. Amen. Praise God. All right, are you ready? Judges chapter 11. says, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but probably one of the most difficult things in life is dealing with your butt. I don't know about you, but I've got a number of butt problems in my life. This guy Jephthah was a mighty man of valor, but... We got some, got some interaction here. I'm passionate for Jesus, but hopelessly disorganized. I'm passionate to do something for God, but administratively challenged. I'm passionate to, to, to take ground, and, but, but I've got to balance things in my family. I've got to balance things in my... And I found that in this life, there's always a but that I've got to deal with. And so here is this guy, Jephthah the Gileadite, who was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come, please be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me. Shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord in Mizpah, which means uh, watchtower. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon, 
the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah sent messengers again to the king of the people of Ammon and said, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land from, of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And then it kind of goes on. So I want to, this is kind of a, a fairly peculiar passage of, of Scripture, but there's some stuff in here I, I kind of wanted to, uh, to, to bring out and uh, on the whole topic of building a better you. On the inside of every single one of us, Pastor Troy Maxwell, who was here a few weeks ago, said on the inside of every single one of us, there is a wrestle going on. And the wrestle is between the hero we want to be and then the, the, the you, the I, that we really are. Jacob wrestled with God. The Bible says that Jacob begins to include God in his wrestle and Jacob changes and becomes Israel. It's amazing when you include God into your wrestle, when you include God into your world, when you include God into your life, you'll find the transformation is possible and the Jacob of you, the, 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 the disappointing part of you leaves and you find the destiny begins to unlock. Can I tell you this today, that it's in the house of God that the hero on the inside of you, it begins to emerge. It's only in the house of God God, that you will find the Word of God will begin to develop and bring forth the you that you were created to be. There are 52 Sundays a year, and if our services go for two hours, which they don't, but if they do, that's 104 hours that you're in church if you never miss a Sunday. 104 hours. There's 168 hours in one week. But over a whole year, your exposure to church, to the house of God, 104 hours. Now, of that, if the preaching was 40 minutes, if the preaching was 40 minutes, it's 34.66 hours a year. 34.66 hours a year that you are exposed to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. The average person watches between two to four hours of television a day. 14 hours a week, but let's, let's kind of round it down. Let's say, you know, 10 hours a week is, is, is a lot. That's 3,650 hours of television a year. Sorry, no, that's sorry, 520 hours of television a year that you and I would be exposed to. 520 hours of television, but only 34.66 hours of the Word of God. So, so we've got more of the world's, that's, that's why it's so important to be in the house of God. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 92, blessed are those who are planted in the house of God. They shall flourish. Their leaves shall not wither. They shall bring forth their fruit in season. Can I tell you, in the 168 hours of your week, when it comes to fixing the roof on your house, and you pull out your, 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 your roller decks and you, you're looking at your day planner and your calendar and you're thinking, where can I find a few hours to fix the roof? Don't go, oh yeah, you know what? I'll take it from the Lord. 
He won't mind. I'll just take it from him on a Sunday morning. He won't mind. I need to fix the roof. He understands. There's 168 hours, but I'm going to take those two hours from the Lord. Not smart. Not smart. 34.66. I'm telling you, the word of, it's the Word of God that will bring forth who you are. It's, 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 I'm telling you, Come hell or high water, get into the house of God. Be in the house of God. I am who I am today, not because I'm smarter than the, than the average animal bar, the, the average yogi bear. I, I'm, I'm not where I am today because of just, you know, divine favor or God favored me over other people. I just made a decision. I'm going to be in the house of God every Sunday. I just made a decision every Sunday. I'm going to be in the house of God. In fact, that wasn't enough for me, but that's another story. But I have found that as, as I yield myself to the Word of God, I found that the Word of God begins to shape, begins to mold, begins to stir. I find that, you know, I, I love reading the Bible and I read the Bible on my own at home and it's an essential part of your diet. But I'm telling you, there is something about the corporate anointing. There's a reason the Bible says, forsake not the gathering together of yourselves in the holy assembly. There is something powerful about assembling together and sitting under a corporate anointing and hearing the Word of God and sitting there. And it's healthy for you to have a little wince every now and again oh man ouch I wish he hadn't said that darn it you know and, and that's good for us come on somebody so so here's this story about Jephthah I love this story and so so he's the son of Gilead Gilead means rocky or strong and and he and and he, he Gilead has some fling with with a prostitute with a harlot she gets pregnant and she brings forth Jephthah Gilead's wife has other sons, and so they decide because Jephthah is the son of a harlot, the son of a prostitute, that he's got no inheritance. They're not going to divide daddy's estate, you know, into eight, so they're going to drive him out so they've all got a little bit more themselves. What's sad about Gilead, whose name means rocky or strong, is he's actually passive and weak because he lets his children dictate the culture in the home. He doesn't correct his children. He doesn't say, no, he is my son. He is my responsibility. He has equal share. He has equal portion in the inheritance. You change the way that you speak to your son, stop uh, to your brother. Stop disrespecting your brother. He is from my loins. He is from my seed. You will respect. But he doesn't do that. He abdicates responsibility. The reason he abdicates responsibility is because he is filled with guilt and shame. Can I tell you the reason the Word of God has commandments. The reason the Word of God has principles and statutes is not to rob you and I of, of, you know, experiencing the fullness of life. It's actually the exact opposite. The reason the Lord has put statutes, commands, and principles in the Word of God is so that you and I can enjoy the very, very best of life without fear, without shame, without regret, without if only I, man, why didn't I, and, and without living with all that kind of guilt and that condemnation, because what that does, it actually paralyzes your soul. And you'll find yourself abdicating from being who you're meant to be. Gilead is meant to be rocky and strong, but because he's so weighed down with guilt and shame over something in the past. Here's the deal about the past. You can't change it. You can't change your past. The problem is, if your focus is the past, you keep making your past your present. God wants to shift things. 
He's a redeemer of all things, and he can take a mistake and a blemish if you'll take some courage, and if you'll take responsibility, he can give you a brand new present to give you a brand new future. Can somebody say amen? So we need to, we need to understand that, that here is this guy, Jephthah, who is now driven out of his father's house. And the Bible says that he goes to the land of Tob. The land of Tob, the name Tob means good. He goes to a good land. But it's amazing because the Bible says that in the good land, worthless men banded together with him. So I want to just share three, three thoughts with you this morning. The first one is, uh, the, first, the first thought that I have for you this morning is that we all have baggage at conception baggage at conception. We all have generational junk that is passed down. Gilead is the son of Manasseh. Manasseh is a descendant of Joseph. If you remember Joseph, Joseph was also driven out by his brothers. So here we see a family cycle. Here we see a generational curse. Here we see something repeating itself because what walks in fathers runs in children. And so you, you, you need to understand in, in this whole series of building a better you to unleash the hero, to unleash the hero within, you and I have to make a decision in our time in this generation, in this now moment, that we're going to deal with the baggage that we have received at conception. When I turn up at the airport, Southwest Airlines know I'm coming. I checked in online, they know I'm coming. What they didn't realize was I was bringing a whole lot of baggage. So they knew I was coming, but what's that? Well, that's my baggage. Well, you're going to have to pay extra for that. That's how, that's how we kind of arrive on the scene. We kind of arrive, but we don't realize we arrive with a whole lot of excess baggage. We arrive with stuff and it costs us. It, it, it's not fair. You can gripe and you can complain. But I inherited stuff. I just inherited stuff that, I, that I'm not proud of. And even in, in my marriage o- over the years, I found that, that, that there are just things that, 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 that I inherited, little bents and biases that, that were a constant challenge. For me, one of those was to criticize my spouse. I just thought that was normal. And then, you know, after a few sleepless nights on the sofa, realized maybe criticizing your spouse is not so normal and not so correct. Another one is even worse than that one. Uh, So this is kind of a little bit of a confession time from your pastor this morning, is argue or correct your spouse in public. Well, you don't have to make that. It's not... It's, just, it's a little, there are people murdered. I can't believe it. Another, and then, then we'll, have an, we'll, have, we'll have a little argument and then Leanne will go quiet. Then we're driving in the car and then I get the, the barrage of I'm not even going to retaliate with you in public, completely inappropriate. And then I am assailed because apparently I cluck my tongue, roll my eyes and grind my teeth. And, I do, and the truth is, I don't even realize I do it, but one time Leanne said it, and my response was to cluck my tongue, roll my eyes, and grind my teeth. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. I suck. It's like that moment, you know, when, uh, you know, when, when Darth Vader's kind of rebuilt, and he, you know, where is Padme? I'm afraid in your anger, you killed her. No, 
she was alive. I felt it. No! I've had, I've had so many of those no experiences. No, it's not true. I'm not clucking my tongue. It's not true. I'm not. But it's, it's all true. There's stuff in me. Here's the deal. I can remember before I got saved, I had a, had a massive bunch of issues. My dad grew up with a very, very abusive alcoholic father. And so he had an incredible dislike, a, a hatred for his dad. Well, by the time I was 17, I was on the same path. I hated my dad. I, I, I didn't want to be anything like him. I wanted to be the exact opposite of him. But the truth was, every week I was taking my paycheck, Friday night, Saturday night, spending pretty much everything on alcohol, getting drunk. The very thing that I hated, the very thing that I detested, I was becoming. The reason that that is, is, is because what we don't forgive, we don't release. What we don't release, we retain within. And what we retain within, we reproduce in our lives. What you don't forgive, you don't release. What you don't release, you retain within. What you retain within is what you will reproduce with your life. That's why there is such a power in forgiveness. The only way or the, the first step to dealing with the, the baggage that we have inherited, the baggage at conception that is part, is you have to make a decision to forgive the, your, your generations. You have to forgive your parents. You have to forgive the, the, the non-existent father, the abusive father, the dysfunction. You have to make a decision that you're going to forgive because if you do not forgive, if you live in unforgiveness, you will retain that. What you retain, you will find that you will reproduce in your life and you'll find the same cycle and the same curse will repeat itself again and again and again. You have to come. I was set free when I began to forgive my dad. As soon as I forgave my dad, I found that those things began to, to leave my life. We have to deal with the baggage now, not kick the can down the road for our children to deal with it. You and I need to make a decision today. I'm dealing with the baggage that I inherited at conception. There is stuff, there is stuff that you struggle with. Make a decision. I'm going to fight for the next generation. I got to tell you, one of the things that I really, really love about the Asian culture is the Asian culture think generationally. When we lived in New Zealand, a lot of the, a lot of the laundromats and, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the little tiny stores, the little, just the little tiny stores where you wonder how they, they make enough money to pay the rent were, were Asian immigrants, and, and they, they, they work. I mean, they just work. You, you see them there. They seem like they work 18-hour 18 18 hour days every day. The reason they work so hard is, is because they're not just thinking of the rent. What they also do is they all live, they live like 15, they live in one little three-bedroom home, but they all live together because they all pool their money and they all pool their resources because the generation that came over as immigrants, what they do is they pay for their children to be able to go to, to college and graduate from college with degrees. And so you find their children become doctors and lawyers. These people come over with nothing more than the shirt on their backs, but they work hard, they work hard, they work hard, and they work so hard because they're, they're, they're sacrificing themselves for the next generation. 
and that next generation comes and they graduate from college and they get the high-end jobs and then they begin to look after their parents and pay back. It's an amazing concept. You know, one of the great tragedies in America is the empowerment of self, that this, this self-centered live for me. I don't care about the future. I don't care about the next generation. It's about me, 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 I, I, I. Man, I'm telling you, we need to actually make a decision that we're going to deal with the baggage at conception and actually leave a better world for the next generation and actually fight with, the, with our demons now so our children don't have to fight with them. Can somebody say amen? So the first thing is baggage at conception. Number two is the truth of attraction. We have to deal with the truth of attraction. Like I said, Jephthah lives in Tob, which is a good land, but the Bible says he lives in, in Tob, a good land, but worthless men banded around him. Worthless men, even though he lived in a good land, he attracted to himself what he was projecting from himself. Jephthah felt worthless when his father would speak about his mother. It wasn't the mother that raised him. He could see something different in the way that she treated her brother, his brothers and then the way that she would speak to him. He was just a little kid growing up, but he could see the difference in her tone. He could see the difference in the portions of food laid out. He could see the difference in the brushing of the hair, the dressing, the, the way that she clothed, the way that she caressed. He, he could see the difference. He didn't know what it was. One day his dad says to him, that's not your mother. You're the son of a harlot. You're the son of a prostitute. You're the son of a worthless woman. And so he grows up. He didn't ask how he came into the world. He didn't have a choice how he came into the world. This has nothing to do with him. But because of his father's abdication of responsibility, his father puts the weight of that on him. And now he feels that somehow he is worthless. Because he feels worthless, he projects worthlessness and he attracts to him what he is projecting. A few years ago, there was a... Uh, an Aussie woman made a lot of money because she brought out the thing called the secret. Death nafty. Sorry, the secret. How many people heard the secret? And the secret basically goes like this, that the secret is that whatever you desire, whatever you want, ask the universe and the universe will give it to you. And what they've done is they've taken Mark eleven twenty four, which says, whatsoever things you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And they've taken that, they've just sucked the God prayer kind of thing out of it. And it just says, you know, just ask the universe what you want and, and then just believe. Even if you've got to trick yourself into believing, just believe and just believe positively that you, that you have it and then you'll get it. And so it was called the secret. And that was, that was the kind of thing. And, it's, and, and the secret was the law of attraction. There's this law of attraction. If you think negative, negative things, things will come. But if you think positive, positive things will come. And all you've got to do is ask the universe. Can I tell you, it's, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says the lazy man desires and has nothing. The lazy man desires, has nothing. Because he's lazy. So it's not about desire. And can I tell you, you can ask the universe or you're like, hello, 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 hello. Mr. Universe, 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 universe. It's me, 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 me. Yikes, 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 yikes. Um, 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 I would like, like, would like, like. 
I'm, 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 million dollars, 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 dollars. And you know, in the, in the secret, in the secret, they actually tell you, you know, with the law of attraction, don't ask for something negative. It's got to be positive. So don't say, um, I don't want cancer. Because the universe will say, did somebody say cancer? Did somebody down there, did you say it? There you go, little buddy. That's some cancer for you. Just spread it around with your family. That's cancer for you. Because apparently the universe isn't that intelligent. Can't, can't discern the difference between. It's not about the universe. He, 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 here's the truth about the law of attraction. The law of attraction is that you do not attract to you what you want. You attract to you who you are. I said the law of attraction is not that you attract to you what you want. You will attract to you who you are. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a swindler and a deceiver. What did he attract to himself? He ends up working for Laban. For 14 years, he works for Laban. What does Laban do? Constantly swindles and constantly deceives his life again and again and again. Why? Because Jacob was attracting to himself what he was. The reason it's so important for you and I to sit in the Word of God, the re in the church where we're exposed to the Word of God, the reason it's so important for you and I to submit ourselves to, to leadership and correction and authority is because... God is trying to shift and change what's on the inside of you. Every other religion wants to change the outside of you. Every other religion is only concerned in, in you being conformed, in, in conformation, in, in conforming you to look like you, you, you now wear an orange and you play bongo drums at the airport because you joined this religion. You now wear a caftan and have a really bad beard because you joined this. Every other religion is all about the outside. It is only Christianity that does not deal with the outside but actually deals with the inside actually goes straight to the heart and deals with the heart because God knows if He can change what's in your heart He can change what's in your world if He can change what's on the inside of you you'll start attracting different things on the outside of you can somebody say amen you need to understand there is a truth of attraction because He lives in a good land He lives in a land of opportunity He lives in Tob but because out of Him is coming worthlessness He's attracting worthlessness it keeps kills me to see over the years beautiful women date absolute drop kicks because a woman dates her self-esteem praise God Leanne's self-esteem was at an all time low and I <laughs> I love your principles Lord You know, the truth is, a woman dates her self-esteem, but one of the great tragedies that I've seen is when they marry into that. And you see what was once an incredible, beautiful young woman, all the potential in the world, now just married somebody who's an absolute, never going to bring the best, never going to release the best, never going to release her to be all that she was meant to be, all that she was called to be. I can always tell the difference between a good husband and a not so good husband. A good husband, when he marries her, she gets more and more beautiful. You know, uh, we talk a lot about the Proverbs 31 woman. I'm going to, Pastor Leanne and I are going to preach sometime 
We're going to do a, a relationship message. She, she's going to do one, and then I'm going to do a follow-up one. But you know, in Proverbs 31, we all read about this extraordinary woman. And, and, you know, she rises before dawn. She brings food to her household. She considers a field and buys it. She works with her hands. You know, she's got her own business. She's got her own company. Like, she's just this amazing woman in the community and everything. And we think that this is just, just you know, she, she's just this amazing woman. And we need to preach that and get every woman to live to that. But you actually need to understand, Proverbs chapter 31, there's a context And it's not until you get to verse 28 that you realize how come she's this amazing woman. Because when you get to verse 28, this is what it says. It says, Her children rise and call her blessed. Her children rise and call her blessed. In other words, the father, unlike Gilead, this father has set a culture in the home that when mother walks in, you rise and honor her and you call her blessed. You don't back chat. You don't speak disrespect. You call her blessed. Listen to what it says, Proverbs 31, 28. Her children rise and call her blessed. Her husband also. So he leads by example. Her husband also and he praises her. What you praise appreciates. What you praise rises in value. What you criticize decreases in value. Her husband also, Andy, praises her and then it has it in parentheses. This is what he says. This is his statement. This is his culture. Andy praises her, parentheses, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. In other words, he says to a sweetheart, there are many beautiful women. There are many amazing women, but you are head and shoulders above them all, my princess. No wonder she's this confident woman. No wonder she's this amazing woman. It's what the husband has put in her. And so she attracts to her. Can I tell you something? There is a truth of attraction that you will attract to you. What is on the inside of you? Husbands, put confidence on the inside of your wives. Put confidence on the inside of your children. Put confidence in there. One of the most powerful scenes in, in uh, the movie Avatar was, was uh, there's a guy called Jake Sully. He's a Marine. He's in a wheelchair, in, but in his avatar, you know, he's kind of walking around. And his job is to infiltrate these people because the, the Marines want to get the, 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 the mineral and the ore that is under where they live, under their habitat. And so he's going in there first to try and get them move. They won't move. They're just going to bomb and blast them and take the, the, the minerals. So he's there with a hidden agenda. But as he's around these people, he begins to fall in love with the people and with Neytiri. And there's this one scene where Neytiri grabs him. And up till now, he's been deceiving. And Neytiri grabs him and she looks him eye to eye. The Bible teaches us that the eyes are the window of the soul. And Neytiri looks at him. She says, I see you, Jake Sully. I see you. And from that moment in the movie, he completely changes. Because there's something about you and I that longs for somebody to see into our soul and see worth and see value. Jesus comes to His disciples. He says, tonight, as the Scripture has said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Tonight, each one of you will leave me and you'll be scattered each to your own home and I will be left all alone. However, I'm not alone for the Father is always with me, but you'll all forsake me. 
Simon Peter pipes up and says, Lord, even if these others forsake you, love me, Peter the Rock. Even if everybody else forsakes you, I won't. I'm ready to go to death with you. The Bible says that Jesus looks into Peter's eyes and he says, Simon, Simon, will you really, are you really ready to go to death? I tell you, before the rooster has crowed twice, you'll have denied me three times. Peter refuses to believe it. But that night he's warming himself by a fire and people says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know him. Denies him. One of the girls says, yeah, you're accent, you're Galilean. You must have been with him. No, I don't know who he is. A third time someone says, come on, your speech betrays you. You're with him. And the Bible says that Peter cusses. I don't beep, 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 blankety, blank, know the guy. And the Bible says, just as he says that, the rooster crows the second time. And the Bible says that Jesus was at the other end of the courtyard. And Peter looks up and the Bible says that Jesus turns and he looks straight at Peter. Can you imagine those piercing eyes? Jesus was right. The Bible says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. But when Jesus rises from the dead, he goes straight to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. See, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I see you, Peter. I see beyond your faults. I see beyond your flaws. I see beyond your baggage. I see beyond your humanity. I see beyond the dirt. And I see gold. The truth is there's gold in all of us. There's gold in you. The truth is there's also dirt. You don't drive along the street and, hey, what's that shiny object? It's gold. You don't find big chunks of gold just laying. It's, it's got to be mined. You've got to shift a lot of dirt to get to the gold. What church is designed to do is help you shift the dirt to bring the gold out of your life. Because there is a truth of attraction. Last point, really quickly as I finish. They go out and they fight and they win. And Jephthah makes a vow in the middle of the battle. He makes a stupid vow. He says, God, if you would give me victory, I will sacrifice my iPad. He says, I will sacrifice. It's okay, Pastor Mark. It'll, it'll be all right. He says, I will sacrifice. Sorry, Dan. Dan Irwin bought me this. I, 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 I think oh, we'll fix it. He says, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my home. And when he gets home with the victory, the first thing that comes out of his home is his daughter. And he says, I'm going to give God a burnt sacrifice. Whatever. And he sacri- Do you know that you can sacrifice your family for success corporately? You can, sacri- you, can, you can so pursue success that you actually sacrifice your kids. and sacrifice. Jephthah makes a stupid vow. Point number three is the power of confession. The power of confession. The Bible says in the book of James that he who controls his tongue is a perfect man. He who has tamed the tongue is a perfect man. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. See, the original purpose of speech was not communication, but creation. God said, let there be light. There was no one else around. And light came. God was using speech to create. You create the world that you live in by the words that you speak. To unleash the hero within, you've got to change your language. You can't speak victim and expect to be a victor. You can't speak helpless, hopeless, 
and then expect to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You actually have to allow God to change your language. Just before we came here to to the United States of America, we sold, Leanne and I sold our our house. We built a beautiful house. We made so much money on the house, but we didn't realize we were coming to America. And so uh, we bought one acre on the northern beaches that had water views. Man, we were going to make so much money. It was going to be so good. We were getting plans drawn up to build, you know, a big 6,000 square foot home. It was just going to be incredible. We were going to make like a million dollars equity. It was going to be so good. It was so exciting. But then God says, okay, I want you to leave it all and move. So then we decided to sell it. But just as we put it on the market, the housing market in Australia just crashed. And I remember outside... Outside, I would say to people, oh, it's so difficult and I don't understand why God is doing this and it's so hard. And I, was, and I was complaining and I was whining because I was trying to get people's empathy. I was trying to get people to feel, you know, sorry for me. And here's God sending us to, you know, if I would have known we were going, we wouldn't have sold it. We would have had our home and rented it out. It would have been so much easier. But now, you know, we've got this acre and you can't rent out an acre. No one wants to pay you $5,000 a, a month to, to put their tent on your acre. No one's going to do that. And, and so, and so, but then I would, you know, drive up there and I would prophesy, you know, this thing needs to sell. And one day it hadn't sold in months and months and months. And I'm angry with God. I'm like, God, why aren't you blessing me? And God says, every time I try to, you curse with your own mouth. He says, your, your own mouth curses what I'm trying to bless. You need to line up in agreement. You need to let your words echo my word. Stop speaking out of pity. Stop speaking out of defeat. Stop speaking like somehow I've forgotten you or somehow I'm harder with you or harsher with you or somehow I'm not favoring you. Stop speaking out of that and begin to speak those things that aren't as though they begin to change. your. And as soon as I began to change my confession, it's amazing how things began to move and things began to change in our lives. Your words have power. Jephthah ruins his home because of his confession. Don't ruin your home because of your confession. Make the decision today in the house of God, I'm going to change the speech that is coming out of my life. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. I have found that the Bible has it that way for a reason. It doesn't say life and death. It says death and life. I found that I actually have to catch myself. Because my first propensity is to curse. My first propensity is to speak death. My first propensity is to talk about our hope. That when something happens, the emotions rise up and the emotion wants to speak the negative, wants to say the negative, wants to go to the death. But I have to pull myself back and choose, no, we're going to speak life. When the woman... Who Elijah prophesied, this time next year you'll have a son. When her son is 10, he's in the field and he dies. She puts him on the man of God's bed and she runs out. Is everything okay? Everything wasn't okay. She could have spoke death. But instead she speaks life. She says, it is well. All is well. She makes a decision. I'm not going to speak death. I'm going to speak life. Let God change your confession. Understand the power of confession. Father, we just thank you for this word. Father, we thank you that you are building a better us. Lord Jesus, and we know that it's only through the power of your Holy Spirit. Listen, all of these principles that I've talked about today are impossible to live 
unless you've got Christ's power living on the inside of you, unless you've got Jesus Christ living on the inside of you.